It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the CFPs on the show. With me in the KFG studios, my business partner and fellow CFP, Josh Gregory. Good to be with you, Mike. Well, the 529 plan is often thought of as an account for paying for college, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you think of it as. But the laws have been evolving over the past couple of years, and there's now more flexibility. But with flexibility, sometimes comes complexity. So we're going to help you unpack all of that, understand the 529 plan a little bit better today on the Wise Money Show. That's right. If you have a question for the show, and you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go out and answer one of your questions right now. Hey, I thought it was three of you guys, and I'm only hearing two. Yeah, Kevin's out this week. He's going to be out a, a couple weeks, actually, doing a couple different trips, just some circumstances uh, with his schedule. So we're going to miss him, but we'll make the most of it. If you have a question for the show, reach out to us. You can do so a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000, wisemoneyshow.com is where you can find us online and you can submit questions right there on the right. And then all of our social media, that's where most of the questions come from. Lots of engagement. We'll get into some of those later in the program, but just search the Wise Money Show. Okay, Josh. Yep. Traditional thinking, at least for me, you know, 529 plan, it, that's, a, that's a college account. Just like you'd think, well, the Roth IRA, that's a retirement account, right? And so, but the rules have been evolving and, and one of the most common questions that we've gotten in our career about the 529 plan is, can I use it for blank? I'll fill in the blank in just a second. <laughs> and that answer has always been, no, 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 you can't. And then that just changed. So we're going to talk about the three ways you can use your 529 plan legitimately, the three purposes of it. It's not just for college anymore. It's not where... Uh, it, it's it's expanded its use. So um, let's talk about student loans, okay? Let's start there. Can you use a 529 plan to pay off or pay down student loans? Well, so the, the short answer is yes, now you can. And all, all these changes that you're talking about, the, the evolution of the 529 plan, a lot of it has come in just the past five or six years. I know. They've been around for... 35 or 36 years. Really? But Yeah. You would know that. Oh, well, I, I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> Fair. We were like six or seven years old when these things came out. Oh, uh, not you. I was just a little embryo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was around. Yes. No, it. Uh, th they've been evolving, but a lot of that evolution has been really recently with some major tax law changes. And this is a big one that um, suddenly opened up the possibility that yeah, if, if you had extra dollars left over in a 529 plan after the college years have come and gone and your son or daughter has some student loans, you can actually take a distribution one time. Mm -hmm. One time in your lifetime, up to $10,000 can be used to, to pay off student loans. Yeah, so it, there is a catch, though. And to explain the catch, let's explain how the 529 plan works to begin with. I think you know this. And, and uh, coincidentally, 
when I was sharing the example that, well, of course, you all know the Roth IRAs for retirement. The Fitron plan is really the, the Roth IRA equivalent, but for education. And that is you contribute money into an account, okay, uh, into a tax-sheltered account that you set up with, uh, with a sponsoring state and organization. And that money goes in after tax. You don't get a tax benefit, but we'll come back to that. You don't get a federal tax benefit for contributing to the 529 plan. But then all the activity, the growth, the interest, dividends, capital gains, all that stuff is sheltered while it's in the account. So it's a tax-sheltered account, and hopefully it's growing. But then when you withdraw the dollars for a qualified educational expense, and they've added student loans to that list, mm-hmm. up to 10000 once in your lifetime, then all that growth comes out tax-free. Uh, if you withdraw the money for, for a, a non-qualified expense, uh, which we'll get into those and some examples in a moment, then you do have to pay tax on that growth, plus a little bit of penalty. So so that's how the Fitronian plan works. After tax money in, tax-sheltered growth and activity, and then tax-free withdrawal of that growth in the future. Now, the catch here is many states, I told you the unique thing about the Fitronian plan is this sort of a state-sponsored plan. Many states offer some sort of tax incentive to encourage its citizens to save up for college. And I, I love that idea. That's, to me, that's, that's complicating the tax code to help reinforce the right behavior. And so I, 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 I like that. And I happen it's, to... It's huge because in Indiana, we've got one of the most lucrative options at, at your fingertips, right? I mean, Indiana, if we're just going to be honest, this isn't the best at a lot of things. Like, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's best at maybe corn. You know, so my kids had one of these... <laughs> 50 states and facts about these different states. And I was telling them in Michigan, where you and I grew up, Josh, well, the, the state kind of fruit is apple. It's an apple, but then cherries as well. Michigan cherries gets a lot yeah. of attention. And they were like, no, 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 no. And, and they were like, what's Indiana? I'm like, corn. It wasn't. I don't even know what it was, but that, I- Iowa gets that's corn. The, uh, <laughs> that's right. And it's not a fruit, obviously. I was going to say. I, okay, so <laughs> uh, we've got a problem. Maybe with that's Indiana's around. declaring corn as their so, state. So, fruit. so anyway, uh, Indiana's not known for being the best at a lot of things, but has, the, in my opinion, the very best five twenty nine tax incentive. Also, by the way, the very best long term care insurance. Yeah. Um, and what is that? So it's a it's a twenty percent state tax credit on the first $5,000 that your household, your, your tax return contributes that year. And, um, and now it goes against state taxes, this is state tax credit. So if you happen to not, if you happen to live in Indiana, but don't pay state tax, well, just no help. It doesn't help you against county taxes, local taxes. But so here's the catch. If the Fed, if the, Fed, if the IRS has now declared and said, hey, student loans, that's, that works, you can take out $10,000 once in your lifetime, draw the money out to qualified withdrawal for federal purposes. Therefore, that growth is tax-free. Mm-hmm. What about the state tax incentive? They got gotcha. you. Indiana has actually come out and said, no, 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 no. We are not following suit here. Mm-hmm. That is a, in, in, for our state tax benefit, that's still a non-qualified withdrawal. You're going to have to pay that tax credit back. And they did this because lots of folks contribute, and we encourage this, right, for for planning purposes, contribute into the 529 plan and then very quickly thereafter use the money. So you you haven't had a lot of 
tax-free growth, you're really using it for the tax credit, depending on your circumstance. Well, if they didn't lock this down, people could have a student loan, learn about this new rule and say, okay, great. I'm going to contribute five grand into my 529, my Indiana 529 plan, get a credit, and then quickly take the money right back out and Right. Out of my student loan. Yeah, you could be doing that after the college years are over and everything. That's exactly right. You know, we use the Indiana 529 plan, as you were kind of alluding to, sometimes as a, a tool for saving for college expenses while you're already in college right. to get this tax credit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's about 30 of the states have some sort of a, a tax benefit, some sort of goodie that you get from con- for contributing to their, their plan. But none of them are as good as Indiana's. Right. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, Indiana's is, or excuse me, Michigan's is a deduction. But the point is, wherever you're listening to this, if you're listening live on the radio, then I'm assuming you're driving through or sitting in, in Michigan or Indiana. But if you're watching on a YouTube channel or on podcast, I don't know what state you're from. So check your own state's laws. And before you immediately say, wow, they finally are allowing you to use some 529 plan money to pay down a student loan, wait, catch yourself and see if they're if you've received any state tax benefit for your 529 plan and whether your state will force you to pay that back. And you might even say, well, there's no way they're going to know. They're not going to. No, guys, listen, avoid a tax surprise, a big tax mistake. Work with your CFP on that. Two other uses for the 529 plan and one more detail I want to share about the college, the student loan part of it. So that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Can you use a 529 plan to help with your student loans that you that that you still have? The answer is surprisingly yes. It was always a weird answer, no you can't. Um, but now it's yes, but there's some rules we're getting into that and more. This is the Wise Money show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios. No Kevin Corhorn today, but Josh Gregory is with me. Make sure you stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. And you can even submit questions right there as well. And then all over social media, just search the Wise Money Show. Okay, so we're talking about the three, yeah, that's right, three uses of the 529 plan. Used to be just for college. We're going to get into that in just a second. But the first new use started, what was it? A year and a half ago, mm-hmm. yeah, one one of twenty twenty, and that is, you can now use up to ten grand in your lifetime to pay off student loans or pay down student loans. And people, it, it, this is a logical question for for my entire career. I'm assuming years too, Josh. People said, "Oh, I still have some student loans. Can I use my five twenty nine for that?" And it's like, no, unfortunately, you can't. Well, mm-hmm. I don't get it. I, I have student loans for college expenses, and the five twenty nine was for college. Why can't I use it? And and uh, and there was just a, a law saying you couldn't. Now you can ten grand in your lifetime, okay. But the point that we didn't make last segment, I want to make right now, is that is per spouse. Basically, it's not like it's not per family. So if you're married, you each have student loans. You could each draw ten grand out of your five twenty nine plan to help cover student loans. Isn't it true also that you could? It, you could do it per child as well. I like it's so. per borrower, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So it's possible that each spouse pulls money out for each of the kids and right. you maximize it that way. But the, the point is, it's a lifetime maximum of 10 grand. Right. And 
I don't think that you have to pull it all out in one shot, though. Right? I don't believe you so either. You just can't exceed 10,000 when you add it all up. And then for those of you creative folks, how will they keep track of this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But those are the rules. We're going to follow the rules, and that's it. You know, part of the reason this is a big deal, though, is um, for the longest time, it was always a fear that you would get some money stuck in a 529 plan. You'd have leftover dollars. And we were always hesitant to to allow clients to get too much money into a 529 plan because if you have money left over at the end of the college years um, and, and you have nothing to do with it, uh, you, you're left with a, a situation where you may have to pull the money out and use it for other things, which is fine. I mean, you're, you're allowed to do that, but then you end up paying taxes and uh, potentially a 10% penalty on the growth portion. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people want to avoid a situation like that. They don't want penalties. And so in the past, you'd always have to be creative on, well, what do you do in a situation like that? And we would always emphasize that you had the ability to change the beneficiary on a 529 plan, and you still do. That's still an option. Yeah. So if your your first child doesn't use all their 529 plan, you can essentially roll that money down to a sibling or another family member yep. and and put it to use that way. You don't have to utilize this, this $10,000 loan option. Yeah, that's right. All right, so the second use of the 529 plan is the obvious one. And even before we started recording, Josh said, hey, can we just talk about the obvious one first? And I said, no, no, you, no, we can't. <laughs> we have to talk about student loans first. Um, but okay, the obvious one, the 529 plan is has traditionally been a college account. So let's explain that. So so that's the second use. You can use your 529 plan, obviously, for qualified college expenses. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, these these college plans, they actually we, we referenced this in the last segment. They started back in nineteen eighty six and it was actually our home state, Michigan, was the first one to create this. I don't know if you wow, knew that. Oh, I didn't. But it, back then they were prepaid tuition programs. Mm. So you were essentially putting money on deposit with the state and prepaying some future tuition expense, which essentially was a way for your money to be set aside and keeping up with the inflationary effects of college. College just keeps getting more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were able to buy at 1986 levels mm -hmm. and your child eventually grows up and yeah. 15 years later goes to school, uh, you've prepaid the tuition towards towards that school and a Michigan based school. Now think about this. So so yeah, I was born in eighty one and after meandering a little bit, playing some college hockey in New York, I I ended up going to Michigan State after that and graduated uh in a couple of years and my brother went to Central. Imagine Imagine if my and my parents used the UTMA account because that was the old type of way you'd save up for college is just save up in a custodial account called an, an, an UTMA or an UGMA. And there's no tax benefit really to that. And it wasn't even designed for college. It was just a minor's account. Mm -hmm. And um, imagine, I mean, you think about the inflation that tuition had from the mid 80s right. until we were in college in, you know, 99, 2000 time frame. Imagine the what how how that growth in a prepaid tuition. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, what what did education expenses grow what at? Seven, five, six, seven percent, mm -hmm. something like that, depending mm -hmm. on the state or whatever. So so those types of plans they essentially got expanded in 1996 when the Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code was added, and that's what created uh, this tax-free environment for you to save up 
for for college. So it basically created the rules 10 years later that allows you to set aside money into an account and let it grow tax-free if you use it for qualified education expenses. All right. That's what we think of as yeah. a 529 plan. It's the one that we talk about all the time on the show. Technically, there's two different types. We're always talking about the more of an accumulation vehicle or yeah. an account to, to save up for. Okay, so a couple kind of uh, common questions with that. Um, can it can it be used for any college? And the the little known secret here is it can be used for uh, colleges that participate in the FAFSA program. Okay, mm-hmm. and if you're ever interested in well, isn't that everyone? That's most, but not everyone. You can actually find that full list online, and there are some. Uh, abroad schools, overseas schools that participate as well, we've actually hunted through that list to help some clients out before. So the school has to part, the college has to participate in the FAFSA program, does not need to be in the same state that you live in, doesn't need to be in the state for the 529 plan that you choose if that happens to be a different one. It's no big deal that really just the college university needs to participate in the FAFSA program. What about and you can actually check the FAFSA uh, website to see if your school that you're thinking about sending your son or daughter to has a code. Yeah, right? you can look them up. And it, don't do that while you're driving. If you're <laughs> if you're listening while you're driving, um, the but, uh, but think about this though. I mean, there's over six thousand different schools here in the U.S. that that can apply you're to. You're full of stats today, Josh. And I'm not re- I'm not ready for this. You're, I'm <laughs> trying to impress you, Mike. Oh, yeah, well, you are. <laughs> Uh, so that, that could be community colleges. It could be uh, normal four-year college or university, grad school, law school, medical school, fill in the blank. But it, recently, you know, this, this same law that allows you to pay off part of your student loans up to $10,000, it also added the ability to use your 529 plan dollars to pay for apprenticeship programs. That was brand new as well. And that's a big deal for those who maybe are considering trade school or, or going into some sort of a, a program right out of school. A lot of these apprenticeship programs, you have certain expenses to, to get up and running, you know, certain fees or certain equipment that you have to buy. And now all of a sudden, the 529 plan has another avenue. It falls under the same category as yeah. like a qualified college or, or a university. Uh, just consider me impressed. I'm Thanks, just man. not, you know, not that, you know, you're sitting in Kevin's chair. You ask, That's what hey, it is. It's his microphone. <laughs> There's a couple more, I think, obvious questions that come up when you think about, can I use the five trillion plan for college or how does that work? And and that is, what is a qualified expense? We're going to hit that in just a second. What are my investment choices? And then, you know, Josh, you mentioned how you, if you have multiple kids, you can change the beneficiary. Well, what do you what do you mean? I thought beneficiary meant when I pass away, this is who gets the money. So we're going to explain a little bit of that, plus the third reason, the third purpose of the 529 plan. So that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, the 529 plan, what can you use it for? Not just for college. We're expanding your horizon with the 529 plan. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory. No Kevin Corhorn today. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast 
wherever you listen. Go check it out. If you catch up on previous episodes, miss something, go wherever you listen to podcasts, search Wise Money Show. Do me a favor, rate it, rate the show there, and uh, and subscribe to it as well. All right, so the second, and it's really the obvious uh, purpose of the 529 plan is for qualified college expenses. Josh, what's a qualified college expense? Or give us some examples. Yeah, I mean, the the longest existing list has been things like tuition, your fees, um, required expenses. You know, basically, if the school's going to make you spend money on something, for the most part, it's probably going to be going to be covered. There are exceptions to that, but there's certain supplies and equipment. Computers were added not that long ago, back in 2015, I think that became uh, an expense that you could spend money on. And then room and board, or or if you're living off campus, rent could be um, a qualified expense, as long as you're not spending more on rent than what the school says you ought to be spending for, for room and board. Well, that's interesting right now as rents are going up like crazy. I wonder if, if schools can adjust their cost of attendance is what that is. They, right. they list that up. Okay, so let me pepper you with a couple questions. Books, is Books. that qualified? Yep. Okay, lab fees, those sorts of things. Right. The application fee is actually, that's a, that's a qualified expense. I didn't know that. Um, what about, okay, my... My child is going to college in Hawaii. I live in, you know, California. The flight? No. No. So travel to and from or having transportation on campus, that sort of thing, is mm-hmm. not covered. That That is a noticeable absent item, right? Probably yeah. because it, I don't know, it, it's probably open for abuse, I would assume. Yeah. Right? What, what about this one? You know, so my son or daughter was duped into getting their first credit card by some vendor there, and they racked up a big bill and, and just <laughs> while they were at college. Yeah. I, that wasn't your experience, was no, it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. But I did get the free Frisbee Good. when I signed up for that's the credit card. So, I'm, yes, that's I'm, obviously I'm going to say no. negative that's, on that that's one. That's obviously no. The other one, though, um, health insurance for yeah. the student. If they're not on your own group coverage, maybe they buy their own through the school. That one is also noticeably absent from yeah. the list. All right. Uh, so with a 529 plan, there's three parties involved. You have the owner of the 529 plan. So that's the person who writes the check, makes the decisions, how it's invested, all that sort of stuff. But then the second party is the successor owner. And, and that is if the owner passes away, who now controls the account, who has authority to make those calls? That's a successor owner. And then in the 529 plan world, beneficiary is actually the student. And so this one, it, it confuses people. It, you can only list one beneficiary at a time. I wonder in the future if you, you'll be able to list two or three. Because if you've got two kids and they're both in college at the same time, we've seen lots of people make the mistake of saying, well, you know, Jimmy's in, in college too. Yeah, the account's in Johnny's name, but let's pull some money out for Jimmy. It's convenient, and I've got the bill. We've got to pay it. I need five, I need five grand out of that thing, and we'll pay it for, for you know, for I can't remember which J I did, <laughs> but there. Right, but the other child, no, 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 no. And so um, you can only have one beneficiary, one child, uh, on on the account, one student on the account. But that's you can right. change it at any time. Uh, that's right. You can change the beneficiary to another family member. And you can even change it to yourself if you're in that situation where there's extra dollars left over when all the kids are done with, with college. You could go take some college classes or something even even after the fact. And then just to you know expand your creativity here, your thinking, if you think, well, okay, 
that's nice, Josh, but I'm not going to go back to college. So then I guess once my kids are done, then any money left over, I'm just out. No, no, no. I mean, what about grandkids? Someday, if you've got multiple kids, someday you'll likely have grandkids and just leave the account. There's no rush unless you need the money. There's no rush. There's no No time limit. Although some states will have a certain age, but that's not like a federal rule that the money's got to be flushed out by a certain certain age or something. Yeah. But the other thing to keep in mind, um, what if you are in that situation where you have extra money in a 529 plan, more than you ever thought, maybe your son or daughter either didn't go to school or got a full ride or the school was just cheaper for, for whatever reason, you had extra. If you end up needing to just cash the money in and use it for other purposes, one option is to move the money into the child's name and let them cash it in if they're potentially in a lower tax bracket than you. Interesting. You know, you yep. someone's going to pay tax on the growth, but it's based on what tax bracket you're in. If they're in a lower tax bracket than you, well, let them let them have it. Could yeah. be down payment for a house or a there, wedding or something. There you go. Okay, so that's the second. That's the obvious purpose of the five trillion plan. There's a third now. There's a third, and so the first. Uh, obscure the one that we talked about is was logical. People have been asking it forever. Can I use this money for student loans? You can now use up to ten grand in your lifetime for student loans, federally qualified, not necessarily state qualified withdrawal. And then obviously for qualifying educational expenses for college. The third purpose is what about K through twelve ed- education? Yeah, if if you've got private school or you know you're, you're sending school to or sending your kids to a local Catholic or a Montessori program or something like that, um, you know, there's tuition payments there, and they can be expensive. And and there are some families that actually would prioritize private school education, K through 12, more than than even college. Oh, yeah. I, I've had more and more clients say, you know, I'd, I'd rather make the investment up front because of, these are formative years. I, I really want to control the environment that my kids are in. And then they'll be on their own for, for college, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're getting more scholarships or something because of their their K through 12 experience or whatever. But now, and, and by now, I mean for the past four years or so, since 2017, you've been allowed to use up to $10,000 per year per child for these K through 12 expenses. Tuition expenses. Tuition expenses. Not, Thank not, you for correcting that. Yeah, not... not uh, room and board for whatever reason, yeah, if that right. was the there case. There boarding school or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's now expanded its use. And I think the confusing thing when you mix this all together is, okay, that it shares the same um, dollar limit as the student loan provision, 10,000. This one is per year. Yeah, annually. And the student loan one is in your lifetime. This one is tuition only where the college purpose is tuition and room and board and other required fees. And so it gets a little, it gets a little tricky. Um, this, this is also if, if, so now you've got three reasons you could use a 529 plan. We haven't talked yet about how to invest the 529 plan. Yeah. And, and I would just point out, and I don't, we're not going to have a ton of time to d- to dive into this, but I would just point out that if you're using it for any one of those reasons and the reason changes, you now might need to change your investment 
risk to match the new reason you're going to use the money for. That's exactly right. I mean, we always encourage people that when you're making an investment choice, you want the investment to match the time horizon that it's going to be held for. So in that sense, you're kind of matching the investment with its purpose. And you know, college, if if you start saving when your kids are in diapers still, you have a long time for that money to potentially grow, a long time for it to fluctuate in value through the ups and the downs of the market and everything, and still recover in time to be used for, for college. Well, if it's K through 12, yeah. do, do you have five years to start saving and then you're going to start using the money? Are you using it more real time? So the, the point is you can't be too aggressive and allow those investments to fluctuate too wildly if you're using it in the short term for K through 12. So these rules are a little confusing and there's planning implications. We've talked about some of the tax benefits and also some of the tax traps that if you don't use it quite appropriately. And then of course the investment decisions and cash flow decision with K through 12 tuition, with college expenses, with how you handle student loans. So ultimately this is a fan financial planning decision. Work with your CFP on that. All right, we've got questions from fans of the show. That and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios. Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn is out today. If you've missed anything on the program or missed a previous episode, check it out on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Just search the Wise Money Show on YouTube and subscribe to it there. You get this episode all of our others, as well as next Y step videos that are little nuggets that we drop uh, in there every business day. So Monday through Friday. So go check it out. Um, all right. We're into our favorite section of the program, and that is questions from you, questions from fans of the show. I've got a few here that and they've all basically come through uh, social media and, and website. This one actually through Instagram. Um, here's the question. I currently contribute 4% to my 401k company matches up to 4%. So that's why I do that. And then I do 2% uh, into the Roth. I'm ready to start contributing an additional 4% and wondered if that should be in the pre-tax side or the Roth side. Yeah, great question. I mean, we, we get that all the time, oh, don't yeah. we? Yeah. And it, it really, I love this question because it it demonstrates the fact that you can't just make a decision on saving for retirement based on cash flow alone. You know, essentially, this this person has said, "I'm doing six percent, but I could afford to do 10. That's a cash flow realization. They they can afford to sacrifice some some of their paycheck money for retirement. But you also have investment decisions to make. You also have tax implications to this. Mm -hmm. And we could keep on going all the way around all six areas of financial planning. So this is a true financial planning question here. And uh, to me, if you look at it through the tax lens first, and and because that's kind of what uh, they're, they're hinting at is, do I do pre-tax or do I do Roth? They have two options in their, in their retirement plan at work. And to me, it boils down to which one is going to have the most uh, impactful consequences in your 
in your tax picture. Yeah, it's a tax question. And so uh, on Instagram, and, and you didn't need to you know, share all the details of your life, but you know, what is your age? Mm-hmm. That's one question. Um, are you married? Do you have kids? Which would give us uh, some clues on your taxes and tax credit. How much you make is another one. So here's the thing. You know, if you're so this is a financial planning question. The answer is best derived from looking at all six areas of your financial life, and then it will be extremely clear whether you should whether you should even switch all of this to Roth or all of it to pre-tax or do a little combo like you've been doing. Um, but if you're younger, advantage Roth That's because right. the dollars have a longer time to grow tax deferred. And because if you if it's Roth, you don't get the deduction on your contribution, but your growth would be tax free when you withdraw it. Um, and or it, so, so you said younger goes to the, the Roth or if you're getting close to retirement and you don't already have a Roth IRA in place. Correct. Maybe there's a third option that you're not considering here. You need to get started, at least get a, a Roth IRA open yep. within five years of retiring because w- when you retire, this account's going to get rolled over most likely, right? You're going to send the Roth dollars to a Roth IRA. You're going to send the pre-tax money to a traditional IRA. And if you need to start tapping into it after retirement begins, the, the, the Roth dollars, you need to have had an account open, a Roth IRA open for at least five years so you don't, so you don't get hit with any kind of unexpected penalties or anything. Let's take a tangent here. We'll come back to the Instagram question. This I was going to throw out as a question because there's a video on the YouTube channel right now, an old one with some old old camera and lighting and it just, but it's the content I thought is extremely sound. It talks about the Roth 401k tax trap. And, and it's one of these videos that right now the algorithms picked up and, you know, 20,000 views in the past couple of weeks. And, you know, so it's getting a lot of traction. And, and, you know, there's, I see the comments flowing through and I'll tell you, sometimes people can be mean in social media. Don't be mean. You it know, doesn't to, bother you though, right? Well, yes, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensitive. I know no. you are. <laughs> um, so, so, but some people are saying, wow, I didn't know that. It's very, you know, very helpful. Others are saying, what's the big deal? Everyone knows you've got to have the account for five years. No, no they guys, don't. Guys, That's right. you, you, that, I think you're missing it. The point is, the point of that entire show, and I, again, I was going to, we're taking a tangent here. I was going to present it as a question, but if you spend your entire working years saving up money into the Roth 401k, okay, then you're saving that money up so that when you retire, you're going to live on that money. I mean, that, that you're going you're gonna to flip the switch and stop your paycheck and start withdrawing money and living on it. Well, when you retire, 99 thousand out of, uh, you know, you know, a th- or a hundred thousand people bring enroll that money over to a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. You then start withdrawing that money. You have not had a Roth IRA for five years. You've had a Roth 401k for five years. You have not had a Roth IRA for five years. Now you've got to wait five right. years. And if you were counting on that, that money to get you through for the first five years, there are strategies that would say, okay, from the time you walk away from the paycheck to when you begin social security, maybe you're delaying social security as long as possible. You got to be able to live in the meantime, right? And to have access to some tax-free money could be part of your game plan. But by not getting that Roth IRA in place ahead of time, you're messing up your plan essentially. So, so just understand, yeah, the, the 
Roth IRA has a five-year rule, and I think that's what these very nice individuals on in the social media world are pointing out. Well, yes, listen, I was aware of the five-year rule for the IRA, Roth IRA. I understand. Most, most people are not, but there is a five-year rule on the Roth IRA. But the Roth 401k does not satisfy the five-year rule for the Roth IRA. That, exactly. that is the point. Exactly. So that would be, you, you mentioned, as getting back to the, the question from Instagram here, if this person is really young, the more time that you can allow money to grow in a Roth 401k or a Roth anything, the better. Because all that growth is is building, it's compounding tax-free outside the reach of, of the government. Mm-hmm. But there are some times when you are in the the, the latest years of your career, and maybe you need to turn your attention to the Roth IRA just for preparation purposes. Tax diversification, that's right. Um, okay, if you're in extremely high uh, earning years and you don't expect to have that though, this high income forever, then advantage pre-tax, mm-hmm. right? So obviously if you're working and let's, let's say that you've got a raise and that's why you can do this additional 4%. Well, if that raise now means you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, not sure you'll be in that high tax bracket for a long time, then advantage pre-tax, That's right? right? Also, and this is one that most people don't intuitively get unless you're doing some proactive tax planning, and that is, all right, is your adjusted gross income, is your AGI close to a threshold that either begins to limit some tax credits or tax deductions that you'd otherwise get? And uh, think about this. I mean, we're coming off the heels of all sorts of helicopter money. They, that's, that's stimulus money. And how did they determine how much stimulus you got? Your adjusted gross income. That's right. And for many people, they were really close to getting some stimulus, but they missed out because their adjusted gross income was too high. And pre-tax, if you contribute pre-tax, that can squeeze your adjusted gross income down and could mean you qualify for more tax benefits. And that's a big deal because a lot of these tax incentives or, or tax rewards, I should say, they have some sort of a phase out period where if your income crosses a threshold, you start losing the benefits slowly over time until they're eventually gone. There's others where it's more of a cliff if you creep over by $1, you just lost all kinds of, of good stuff in the tax code. And so paying attention to your adjusted gross income is really important. And here's why it matters. If you discover that you're going to be falling into that threshold or that, that phase out range, or you're going to fall over a cliff, as I was describing, mm-hmm. in order for your traditional 401k contributions to have an impact on your, your tax picture, You've got to make the adjustment early in the year, right? I mean, if you discover this in September, you've only got three months left to start trickling more dollars in. It, it may not be enough. It may be too late. Mm-hmm. And so we, we always say you are always in tax planning mode, right? We often think of the fall as an ideal time to take a measure of, well, where do I stand before the end of the year? But you, you really need to be having those thoughts way back in the spring. Maybe when you're filing last year's tax return, it's not too early to start thinking about this year's tax return. Yep. I, I hope that's helped. I'm going to sneak in one more question here. But, but just to put the wraps on this, you know, Josh, you were talking about at the beginning, hey, th- this, is, this is a quintessential financial planning question. So how much you contribute towards retirement, and, and in this case, to the 401k, that has an influence, a bearing on your cash flow, so present financial position. The more you save up for your financial future, the more quote unquote self-insured you are. So it influences your protection plan. 
this is a obvious tax question. Do I want the deduction now or do I give up the deduction now and for tax-free growth in the future? So tax planning, of course, how you invest these dollars once they're in there. And if you use the same investment strategy for pre-tax and Roth, it's an investment decision as well. Investment planning, how much you save up for retirement is one of the biggest influences and factors when it comes to when you're able to retire and if you're able to do so safely. So retirement planning is clear as well. And then all of these dollars that you're saving up for the future, you've got a beneficiary attached to them. And that beneficiary of yours, if you deferred the taxes, well, they're going to need to pay it. If you did Roth, then they're going to inherit the dollars tax-free. So it's a estate planning decision as well. This one little decision impacts all six areas of your financial life. And that's why we obsess over the best way for you to make this decision is in the context of all six areas, working with a certified financial plan who's doing comprehensive financial planning. Preach it. That's the end of the show. That's We're good. done. That's the last episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Dave, let's sneak this question in, Dave, in YouTube. And we're getting a ton of these comments as well. It's so sad. I'm still waiting on my tax refund. What should I do? I filed my tax return in March. What should I do? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I'm hearing all kinds of stories like that. Either people who just now, here in the middle of the summer, finally getting their tax refund or even more people who are still waiting. And you know, the the reason for it, it sure feels like the IRS is kind of distracted right now with trying they've they've been trying to get stimulus checks out. Now they're trying to scramble around and figure out these uh, child tax credit advance payments and everything, setting up the portal for all that. They they don't have their eye completely on the ball of getting dollars out to you, but that doesn't mean that something's wrong necessarily. It just means it's still a waiting game. So what do you do? Number one, uh, hopefully you worked with a, CF, or a CPA and a CFP and you reach out to them and say, hey, can you just confirm that my return is filed? It's in good standing. Um, so that got no, accepted by or, the and IRS. It got accepted. Yep. So that's the first thing you do. If you didn't, then you've got to, if you filed yourself, you got to figure out a different way of seeing if it's, if it's filed. Second, you can go to check my status. Where's my payment sort of thing on the IRS website and try to get an update there. But, uh, but then that's it. You could always call the IRS, but you're going to be waiting a while. So that's all the time we have today on behalf of Josh Gregory, all of us at KFG. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.